Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. invite you to take your copies of the scriptures with me this morning and turn to the gospel according to John, the book of John chapter 1. And let me say from the outset, I have this opportunity to invite you to Wednesday nights as well. Wednesday nights we're going through the book of Revelation together, also written by the apostle John. And so there'll be great benefit in hearing both of these books, both by John, both as him as the author, ultimately God the author, but you'll hear much similarity, things that John is doing uh, in both the book of Revelation and the gospel according to John. So to get the most out of it, let me encourage you, come Sunday morning, yes, but come Wednesday night as we work through the book of Revelation as well. And because it's God's word, you won't be disappointed. And so what we're about to do in this time that I have, is the best thing that will happen. We will read God's Word together. And whatever comes after that, I might fail, but guess what? God's Word is not going to fail. So would you stand with me? Let's read the first five verses of John chapter 1. When I finish reading verse 5, I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Give us ears to hear, O Lord, what you would say to us through your Holy Spirit and your divine word. Let us take in this food. Let us eat it. Let us rely upon it, and let us be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Once upon a time, we're familiar with those words. They introduce for us many stories it's a common way that fairy tales begin. When we hear those words, we 
settle in, ready to hear a good, engaging story, those words, those terms, once upon a time, are a signal for us. They're a signal for us because we've heard those words over and over and over again, so we know what to expect when we hear them. The Apostle John begins his gospel with some significant, important words, words that we've heard before, words that when we hear them, we should think to ourselves, ah, I see what John is doing here. At the outset of this account of Jesus, John says these words, in the beginning. These are the exact words used in the book of Genesis, the beginning of the whole Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There we have the account of all of creation. How did everything come into existence? Where did we come from? These are the questions answered in the creation account in Genesis. And John heralds an amazing message at the outset of his gospel by using the same words of the initial creation account. So what does John do by saying, in the beginning? John is proclaiming a new creation account. A new creation account not to nullify or discredit the creation account in Genesis, but an announcement of a new creation in light of this fallen creation. A new creation that provides hope and salvation and joy. It's as if John is saying, if the first creation account is amazing, astounding, and majestic, and it is, I want to show you the amazing, astounding, and majestic new creation which echoes the first creation account, and I want to show you how the new creation focuses on Jesus. John also instructs us at the beginning of this book to start with the Old Testament to read the account of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And so what is John doing? He is saying, I want you to take into account the Old Testament. You can't read the story of Jesus. You can't understand who Jesus is. You can't understand the events of his life apart from the Old Testament. You won't follow why Jesus is doing and what he is doing apart from the Old Testament. You won't see how all of the Old Testament promises find their yes and amen in Jesus without the Old Testament. So John is saying, go back there, start there. The Old Testament is foundational, necessary, and crucial in order to understand Jesus. John is the last of the four gospel accounts to be written. And it's most likely the case that by the time that John writes this gospel, he already knows of the other three gospels, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These three gospels, the first three gospels, are known as the synoptic gospels. That word synoptic means seen together. So these three gospels, there is much overlap, there is much in common, they have many of the same events 
same things, the same teachings of Jesus in them. John sets out in his account to do something completely different. His material is mostly original. Events, accounts, teachings that are not found in the other three Gospels and what does overlap with them, he uses strategically to make a point about who Jesus is and why Jesus has come. Even with these first verses, we see they are quite unique to John that set him apart from the other gospel writers. Where does John begin compared with the other writers? Where does Mark begin? Mark begins with Jesus' ministry, with his baptism by John the Baptist. Where do Matthew and Luke begin? They begin with Jesus in a manger. John, however, has a very different approach with where he begins with Jesus. And what John does for us here is he pulls back the curtain. Pulls back the curtain to unveil for us who Jesus is. The last book that John writes, the book of Revelation, is also an unveiling of Jesus. It's an unveiling of Jesus and all of his glory and all of his greatness. Now, John is unveiling the incarnate Christ, the Christ who has come in the flesh, but he's pulling back this veil so that we are able to understand who this Jesus is. And what we're going to find in the book of John is that a lot of people think they know who Jesus is. They think they know where Jesus has come from. Do you know Jesus? How confident are so many, like those in John, who think that they know Jesus, who think they know where he comes from, to find out, no, they don't know Jesus. Many in John's gospel think that because they know where he is from, they will be able to discredit him, they will scoff at him, or they will dismiss him completely. It's no different in our day. People would like to discredit Jesus. They would like to scoff at him or they would like to dismiss him completely. It's not foreign to us. John, however, comes and invites us to see where Jesus is really from right at the beginning of this account. And these truths will set the stage for the rest of the story. The story of the new creation. The story of salvation and redemption. The story of the one who is to be believed in because he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So we begin John's gospel by asking a very simple question, who is Jesus? And what John is doing is, John is doing theology. Theology is, in one sense, very simple. It's the application of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Know who he is and then take that and apply that to your life and to the way that you live your life. And so John has to begin with Jesus and tell us who he is so that 
he may begin to do theology. And so we start at the same place. Who is Jesus? Let's look at these four truths together and seek to understand them as John unfolds who Jesus is in these first five verses. You can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful this morning. Number one, Jesus is the pre-existent word. Jesus is the pre-existent word. It's a big word, maybe pre-existent. What does that mean? Just break it down. Existent, existence, pre, before, before existence. Before existence was the word. John has just drawn our minds back to creation with the words, in the beginning. To Perhaps we ask ourselves, the beginning of what? The beginning is a fixed point in time to which we understand it to mean the beginning of the universe, the beginning of creation. What was there before creation? What was there before existence? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was there at the beginning. He didn't start at the beginning. He didn't come to existence at the beginning. In the beginning, the Word was already there. The Word was already there. He already existed. Therefore, He is without beginning. The Word was pre-existence. What John does is he traces the account of Jesus farther back than creation. We think in terms of time and points in time, and John does something that blows our minds. Go back to a, a time when there wasn't time. Go back to before time. Go, go before there was anything. And what does it mean? It means that this word that John is drawing our minds to is the eternal word. He has no beginning and he has no end. He has always been, he always is, and he always will be. It means that this word is the self-existent word. He does not need or rely upon anything or anyone to give him his existence. He is not dependent, he is independent. We don't know what that's like. We are completely dependent beings. You're breathing right now. You'll eat sometime today. You need certain things to live. The Word needs nothing, needs no one. He is existent in Himself. The Word possesses everything He needs to exist. So as the pre-existent Word, He is also the self-existent Word. And notice also, He is the co-existent Word. That is, he was with the Father, with God. The Word did not pre-exist alone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God. The idea of being with God is not that they were with each other in the same vicinity, but that there is a closeness and intimacy, a fellowship between the two. The Word... And the Word was with God, meaning God the Father, and these two are eternally in relationship with one another. 
They are unified. They are one. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. But we haven't dealt with this other part here, the Word. Why does John say the Word? Why doesn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, Jesus was God. Why does John say the Word? Well, because firstly, the Word was there in the initial creation account. What was there when God created the heavens and the earth? There was the Word. In fact, in that initial creation account, you can hear it ten times. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, the Lord created by the power of His Word. And it was His complete Word. That's why it's said ten times. The complete Word of God was a part of creating everything that was created. He spoke and everything came into existence. In fact, we heard this even in our call to worship this morning, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Throughout the Bible, God's word demonstrates his powerful activity in three ways. His powerful activity in creation, his powerful activity in revelation, and his powerful activity in redemption. We know the word to be powerful because God creates through his word, We know the Word to be powerful because God reveals Himself through His Word. And we know the Word to be powerful because it is by the Word that the Lord redeems His people. This is the powerful activity that is seen in Jesus Christ. As the Word, Jesus is the revealer of the Godhead. For this is how God reveals Himself through His Word. It is only this Word that can accurately make the unseen God known. How do we know the unseen God? We know Him through His Word. But this Word we see here is not some impersonal force or vapor of words spoken that exist for a mere moment. The word is a person. He was in the beginning with God. And actually what John does is he picks up on an echo from the Old Testament, an echo of Sometimes what the Old Testament says about the word of the Lord and how the Old Testament will personify the word of the Lord. So let's just look at an example of this. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3. 
Verse 21. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. So what happened? The Lord, that's Yahweh, he appeared. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. So here it is. However the Lord appeared, we don't know yet. We'll find out in a second. But this is a revealing himself to Samuel at Shiloh. So the Lord appeared. How did he do it? How was this action of appearing? What was the manner of this action? How did it happen? By the word of the Lord. The Lord appeared to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. There the word of the Lord is personified in the Lord's appearance. We have this idea then from the Old Testament that the word is personified, but now John comes to us and solidifies it, and he says this word is a person. He was in the beginning with God. He is God's powerful activity in creation and revelation and redemption. They are all going to be expressed through this one who is a person, and he is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He is the pre-existent Word. And what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with you or I today as we sit here in 2023? You have problems in your life. You have difficulties in your life. You have things that don't go your way. You have hardship. What do you need? You need someone who is bound and trapped by time and space. That is tossed to and fro by the waves of time and the sea of difficulties? Or do you need one who transcends time, one who is eternal, one who is always faithful and true, Jesus Christ? That's what you need. If, if Jesus Christ was simply bound by time and space, that he has a beginning point and he has an end point. There's no hope for us. But because he was in the beginning, he was there already because he is the exist, pre-existent word, there is hope for us in our time of need. There is someone who is faithful to us when we're being thrown all over the place by the problems of life. We need the word who was there in the beginning, with God. And we need one who is God. Number two, Jesus is truly God. Jesus is truly God. <laughs> John, why don't you just kind of ease us in to this gospel account? Why don't you just kind of like take it slow? Like, John is full throttle, pedal to the metal, right out of the gate. I mean, have you ever been to maybe an amusement park and they have one of those roller coasters that it's just like zero to a hundred in like three seconds. It's just like a slingshot shoots them right out of the gate. Like that's what John does in his gospel. It's like, hey John, like just kind of like, it's just ease in. John's just like, no, like 
zero to 100, like right now, first sentence. Hope your seatbelt is on. And what does John give us? He gives us a high view of Christ. The word is pre-existent, self-existent, co-existent, and eternal. Those are all massive truths about Christ. But by putting them together, we see and understand what John says at the end of verse 1. The word was God. John, from the very beginning, does everything to elevate our view of Christ to the heights of glory by saying that the word was God. This is not merely saying that the word is divine, although that is true, but it is saying the word is deity. The word is full deity. He is truly God. And now, notice what John does here. This is strategic. John did not say the word was the God. As if the word is all that one can know about God. But John strategically and purpose, purposefully writes this way to uphold the doctrine of the Trinity. So, John can just as easily say the word was God and also say the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. God in three persons. And one of these persons is the Word, Jesus Christ. He is truly God. John states this in the first verse because he intends the whole of his gospel to be read in light of this verse. So what? The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. How are we to understand this word, how are we to understand Jesus? Nothing less than God will do for our understanding of the word. And the deity of Christ is absolutely essential to our being those who are Christians. The denial of the deity of Christ means the crumbling of all of Christianity. If Christ is not truly God, the hope of the new creation is lost. The ability to accurately reveal God is distorted, and the power to redeem those who are dead in their trespasses and sins is removed. John's account of Jesus hinges upon this truth. But more than this, our very lives and our salvation hinges upon this truth. If the Word wasn't God, all hope would be lost. And so we cannot and must not deny that Jesus is truly God. Number three, Jesus is the agent of creation. Jesus is the agent of creation. And so the Word, Jesus Christ, did not only pre-exist. He is not only truly God. He also was active in the creation of the universe. He played a pivotal role as the agent of creation. And while we think of God the Father, as the Creator, He created through the activity of His Son, the Word. All things that came into existence were made through Him. Listen to these verses. Colossians 1.16 
For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also, what? He created the world. Look at how John first states this positively and then negatively. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Think about that for a moment. Think about what that says. Without Him was not anything made that was made. What does that mean for Jesus? What does that mean for the Word? It means that Jesus was not created. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So everything that was made was made through Jesus, meaning Jesus could not be created. Jesus could not have been made. He is eternal. Not one thing was created or made without Jesus. There was never a thing which did not depend upon Him for its very existence. In fact, listen to 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Your very existence depends upon Christ. Without Him, you wouldn't exist. Yet, how many people would like to pretend that without Him, they can exist? They believe they can get on, they can carry on with life as if they only needed themselves for their existence. They do not see that not only were they made through Him, they were made for Him. They were made for His glory. They were made to worship Him and praise Him and give Him adoration and thanksgiving. You, you were made through Him. You were made for Him. And without Him, you wouldn't exist. And look at the very beginning of verse 3 here. John fronts these words. He pulls them to the front of his sentence. All things, all things, which is meant to emphasize Jesus' priority and supremacy over whatever is created. This means that Jesus has supremacy over humanity, whether humanity recognizes it or not. And if Jesus has supremacy over all things, it means that Jesus has supremacy over your life. He reigns supreme over your life. Do you live like Jesus has supreme authority in your life? Supreme authority over what you do? Supreme 
authority over where you go, supreme authority over what you think. Jesus is the pre-existent Word. He is truly God. He is the agent of creation. And finally, Jesus is the source of life and light. He is the source of life and light. John again brings us back to that initial creation account. Did you hear it this morning when... Jeff read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. What was there? Darkness. So John, again, he brings us back to Genesis, brings us back to the initial creation account reminded that out of that chaos came order. Out of that darkness came light. In fact, those are the very first words that God spoke, weren't they? Let there be light. From chaos came order. From darkness came light. From no life came life. In the word, there is life. Where did this life come from? Notice, in him was life. Life was not given to him. He possessed life in and of himself. In him was life. As the self-existent word, he possessed this self-existent life. And it's the life then that the word shares with humanity. He is the source of of life. You want life? Life only comes from Jesus, and the life was the light of men. The source of life and the source of light are closely associated. The life given by Christ is meant to point mankind to the true knowledge of God. So this is why in him was the life, and the life was what? The light of men. Jesus giving life to mankind was meant to point them to the true knowledge of who this God is. Light and truth are often used synonymously in the Gospel of John. And so even here, this light of men is the truth of God. Who God is. And what God is doing. And it brings us back to the most important part of who you are is what you first think and know of God. What would you say? You would say, the most important thing about me you should know is fill in the blank. Does that have to do with who God is? what you think and what you know of God? If not, then maybe this is a good place to start because it goes back to the foundation of thinking about the whole purpose of life.
Jesus is both the life bringer and the light bearer. He brought life into this world, and he also is the one who is the light of the world. And so what does it say, verse 5? The light shines in the darkness. That's the very property of light, isn't it? What does light do? Light always shines. It can't help but shine. That's what it does. So the light shines in the darkness. And that is the best news. As he, the true light of God, shines in the darkness of this world, those who sit in darkness have seen a great light. The whole situation of the world is changed when light comes into it. Flooded with the light, those in darkness are required either to live in the light and walk by the light or reject the light and remain in darkness. But there is good news beyond that. The darkness, the chaos, the sin, the disorder, and death do not overcome the light. The Word overcome. The Word has overcome the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Or we could say comprehended it. There is a sense where both of these ideas are true. The darkness cannot comprehend the light. They might think that they do. They might give themselves a false sense of assurance that they have comprehended Jesus so as to overcome him. And that's what we're going to see played out through the gospel of John. Again, there are those who are going to say, we think we have Jesus figured out. We have comprehended him. We know who he is. We know where he is from. He's not that special. He's not that different. But they do not comprehend the light. They do not comprehend Jesus. And so they cannot overcome him. But what? Rather, he overcomes the darkness. He dominates the darkness. The darkness does not win. The darkness does not prevail. The light wins. The light prevails. Jesus wins. There is hope. There is hope. And even the first five verses of John remind us we cannot completely comprehend Jesus. I can say things like he is the pre-existent word. But what that is fully like, I don't know. I know it's true, but I don't know it from experience. Jesus is incomprehensible. Amazingly so. Jesus is God. And so not only is this Jesus the Word, the Word to be obeyed, the Word to be followed, the word that we're to live our lives by, but he is also the word to be worshipped. 
If you can comprehend the light, the light is not worthy of your worship. But if the light is incomprehensible, if the light is unovercomable, if that's a word, then He is to be worshipped with all that we are. John starts with this redemptive history of Jesus and says it's all focused upon Him. What God is doing to redeem mankind hinges upon Jesus Christ. That's why it was God who said, let light shine out of darkness. For He is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May we continue to see the goodness of this gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, the one who is the Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word this morning. How amazing are these verses. So amazing we cannot completely plumb the depths. We have only merely scratched the surface. Yet what good words they are to us. What life-giving words are they to us. Father, I pray that we would be those today who are reminded that we were not only created through Christ, we were also those created for Christ. Father, if there's someone here today who they haven't realized that before, maybe they haven't accepted that before, that today they would run to Jesus. Today they would run to this one who is the Word. They would cast themselves upon Him to save them, save them from the darkness of sin and death, save them from the darkness that was cast over the world because of the fall. And find life, light, salvation, and joy in the new creation Christ brings. A new creation we can know now as those who've repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ. A new creation that we look forward to and we will be with you forever. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.